Today on Blue 58, the Packers are at a low point. And even though it's theoretically possible for them to get their season back on track, the first step involves a tough contest against the Buffalo Bills, who have a real claim as the best team in the entire league. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Nobody thinks the Packers are going to win this weekend. I can say with absolute certainty that, at least within the time that I've been asking people how confident they are in the Packers winning, people have never felt worse about a game than they do this weekend. In 2019, the lowest percentage of people who thought the Packers could win a game was the NFC Championship game against San Francisco. 59.5% of voters in our weekly poll thought the Packers would win that game. In 2020, only 54% of voters thought the Packers would beat the Colts in Week 11. And the Packers ultimately lost in overtime in what amounted to be a pretty strange game. In 2021, only 31.8% of voters thought the Packers would beat the 49ers in Week 3 in primetime, and the Packers ended up winning on a last-second field goal. People feel significantly worse about the Packers' chances heading into their Week 8 game against the Buffalo Bills. Only 21.7% of voters think the Packers are going to win this weekend. And I would not count myself among that number. But you know what? That doesn't actually make me feel bad. I think it's freeing to not expect much from the Packers this weekend. The Bills are really, really good, as we'll talk about here in a second. The Packers have not gotten off to a great start. But as that pertains to this game... All that does is remove any stress for me. Because if you go in expecting them to lose, and probably lose pretty handily, you're either going to be getting exactly what you expected, or you're going to be pleasantly surprised. If the Packers would manage to pull off an upset this weekend, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. I would love to see that. But if they don't, it's hardly going to be that much of a shock. So with that in mind, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time diving into the nitty-gritty details about the Buffalo Bills, other than to tell you that they are pretty darn good on both sides of the ball. Just look at their their uh, stats, their raw stats. The Buffalo Bills offense is second in scoring. It's first in yards. It's second in first downs generated. They have accumulated more passing yards than anybody else. They have thrown the second most passing touchdowns. They are first in net yards per attempt. They score on 46% of their drive. That's third best in the league. Their average drive is the longest of anybody in the league. And their points per drive are third best in the league. On defense, they have the best scoring defense in the league. Nobody has surrendered fewer points than the Bills. Nobody has given up fewer yards than the Bills. Only one other team has created more turnovers than the Bills. They are first in interceptions. They are first in run defense. They are first in yards per attempt on defense on the ground. They are third in percentage of drives that result in a turnover. They have the fifth best defense in terms of yards per drive allowed. 
They have the third best defense in points per drive. They're really good. And the Packers, I don't think, have the horses to stay with them. We'll talk about ways the Packers could win here in a second, but I want to rewind the clock first. We're kind of doing the podcast in reverse this week. Because we start talking about polls, I want to talk about last time. Because the last time the Packers faced the Bills, things were very, very different. The Packers saw the Bills fairly early in the 2018 season. Things were off to a bit of a slow start in Green Bay, but they had not yet fully reached tailspin sort of territory. The Packers that year had their own set of issues. Their offense was not super great, but they had plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. Plus, you've got Aaron Rodgers. Plus, you've got Mike McCarthy. They're in a well into their second decade working together. It was a team that was pretty well established. We return to conversations about team life cycles pretty regularly on this podcast. In terms of where they were as a team, they were much further along than where the Bills were. The 2018 Buffalo Bills featured head coach Sean McDermott in his second season, offensive coordinator Brian Dable, now the head coach of the the Giants in his first season with the team, Uh, Josh Allen, their quarterback, in his first season with the team, defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier was in his second season with the team, and you could see the growing pains in process there. Josh Allen started just his third game against the Packers, he wasn't very good. He threw two interceptions. He got sacked seven times that day. And ultimately, the Bills got shut out. 22 to nothing, the final there. But there are a couple things that I think are worth pointing out from that game. First, the Packers' defense really struggled to get things going against the Bills. They did not have the players then that they have today, but they still played pretty well against the Packers' offense. The Packers did score two touchdowns in the first quarter, but for the rest of the game, they never got farther than the Buffalo 18-yard line, and they only crossed Buffalo's 34-yard line one time. The rest of their scoring after that, that outburst in the first quarter, just four field goals. And the Bills got after Aaron Rodgers pretty good in that game, too. They picked off one pass. They dropped another one. That should have been an interception. They forced a fumble on one of their two sacks. They did plenty to make things difficult for the Packers. It was a much closer game than the 22 to nothing score would indicate. And I think if you look at that Bills team from 2018, you can see a lot of the roots that were there or that have, you know, borne fruit now were in place already then. Of course, Sean McDermott, the head coach, was there. Uh, Dabble was there. He's now on to be the head coach of the Giants. Leslie Frazier was there. But a pretty good chunk of the Bills who are a part of the juggernaut that they are today were already on that team in 2018. That's pretty impressive. That's good team building. Look at their top 10 grades on offense by Pro Football Focus. Two of those guys, two of the guys that are among their best players on offense were already on the team. Josh Allen, a great MVP caliber quarterback, now was a rookie then. And left tackle Deion Dawkins was just settling in as one of their, their starting offensive linemen too. But since then, They have added these players who are among their top 10 graded players on offense. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, wide receiver receiver Isaiah Hodgkins, wide receiver Khalil Shakir, 
Running back Devin Singletary, wide receiver Gabriel Davis, tight end Tommy Sweeney, wide receiver Jake Kumaro, and tight end Dawson Knox. The the Bills did what you're always supposed to do. You start with a couple foundational pieces, you get your quarterback, you get your key offensive lineman, and you build out the rest from there. And now they've got an offense that's just humming along. The same thing is true on defense. Looking at their top 10 graded guys from the defensive side of the ball, four of them on their team this year were there in 2018 too. Linebacker Matt Milano, safety Jordan Poyer, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, and safety Micah Hyde. Now he's injured, probably not going to play this weekend, but still noteworthy. But since then, they have added a few key pieces too. Edge rusher Von Miller signed this offseason. Edge rusher Boogie Basham. Edge rusher Gregory Rousseau. Defensive lineman Daquan Jones. Defensive lineman Prince Amelie. And safety Cameron Lewis. They started with foundational pieces in their front seven and secondary and they built up with their edge rushers and defensive linemen from there. This is good team building in Buffalo, and it's bearing quite a bit of fruit now as they head into the, the middle portion of this season, ostensibly as one of the, the few true Super Bowl favorites at this point in the, in the season. Now, what does it count? What does it matter being a Super Bowl favorite in late October? I think that's fair. But the point is the Bills are a good team. And they've been building into this good team for quite a while. And you can see some of the roots of the team they are now if you rewind back to 2018. The Bills are really good. So how do the Packers knock off that really good team? There aren't really a lot of games where you can look at the Packers over the past decade plus, really the Aaron Rodgers era, where they've been underdogs and yet they've had a chance to win or really put themselves in a position to win. One game that comes to mind, though, is the Packers-Patriots game in 2010. The Packers nearly beat New England in New England with Matt Flynn at quarterback. How did they do that? Looking back, a few things stand out. First, a really balanced passing attack. And a bunch of guys get involved. Seven different guys in that game had at least two targets. And the Packers, oddly enough, are in a position where they might have to just do that this week because Alan Lazard is hurt, Randall Cobb is hurt, and it's just a bunch of guys that are still figuring things out beyond that. It's kind of the reverse of where things were in 2010 because in 2010 you had some established receivers, but a quarterback who was in a position where he was just figuring things out. Now you've got an established quarterback with a bunch of guys who are trying to get on the same page as him. If the Packers can find a way to diversify their passing attack and get a bunch of different guys involved attacking different parts of the Buffalo defense, that can give them a chance. Secondly, the Packers in that 2010 game had a really productive ground game, which is always good to have in a game where you can stay close. It shortens the game, it gives your opponent fewer chances to score, And it maximizes your opportunities when you have the ball, because you might not get all that many opportunities either. If you can continue to move the ball consistently on the ground, shoot, you can can match up with just about anybody, provided that your defense gets a couple stops too. The Packers, I think, are in a position to do some good things on the ground. Now, that's easier said than done against the best run defense by yards and yards per attempt in the NFL, but 
if anybody's going to move for the ball for the Packers right now, it's got to be Aaron Jones, you'd think. If nothing else, the Packers have more talent now at running back than they did in 2010, at least the game we're comparing to. And finally, you got to get a couple of key plays on special teams. The Packers in that 2010 game opened the game with a surprise onside kick, which was recovered by Nick Collins, your all-pro safety balling out on special teams. Imagine that. Incidentally, Nick Collins had scored a touchdown on special teams earlier in the season. He recovered a kickoff or a fumble on a kickoff against the Cowboys and ran it in for a score. He was still playing special teams, by the way, the next year when he sustained his uh, career-ending neck injury. It wasn't a special teams play where that neck injury happened, but uh, he was still still out there despite having made the Pro Bowl uh, the previous three seasons and having been voted a, a second-team All-Pro a couple times in there too. Now, it should be noted that in that Packers Patriots game from 2010, the Packers also gave up a pretty notable play on special teams, too. That was the day where Dan Connolly had his infamous 77-yard kickoff return for against the Packers as an offensive lineman, rumbling 77 yards. Things you hate to see on, on replay still. I don't know why. Some people get a, get a real kick out of it. It just it still bothers me even today. Uh, the point is the Packers gave up a, a key play on special teams in a game where they could really afford could not afford to give up many key plays at all. But if the Packers can have that balanced passing attack, be productive on the ground, and get a couple plus plays on special teams, they're at least giving themselves a chance. The problem here is that that 2010 team was an elite defense. You've got Charles Woodson a year off of being the um, Defensive Player of the Year in the entire league. You've got Clay Matthews at the peak of his early career powers. Nick Collins back there. Tremont Williams playing well. Sam Shields out there too. Not to mention the other role players all throughout that defense that were playing at a high level that year. The Packers, while talented on defense, have not put things together to that extent yet. And they while they've played well at times this year, I don't think they're the sort of defense that is ultimately going to slow down Josh Allen all that much. I am interested to see the, if we get it, Jair Alexander versus Stefan Diggs matchup. That will be a lot of fun to watch. But um, the Packers defense is going to have to keep the game close for these other things to matter at all. And I realize that as I say them, it, it's not lost on me that these are a lot of really basic things. It's It's a lot of sort of talking head, Sunday morning NFL preview type things. Wow, yeah, if you're balanced passing the ball and you're productive on the ground and you get a couple good plays on special teams, you're going to have a good shot at winning. Sure, yeah, obviously. But for the Packers, that's something that they haven't really done consistently this year. They haven't been able to get a bunch of guys involved on offense consistently. They haven't been productive and consistent on the ground. And while their, their special teams, I think, is pretty inarguably much improved from last year, they're at a position where they're still looking for those those plus plays. They did get a blocked punt earlier this year, but I would like to see a couple returns that matter. A, 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 give me one punt return for 20 yards or something like that. Just something that adds a little bit of value on special teams. We haven't seen that yet this year. But if the Packers can do all these things, if not win they can at least put themselves in a position where they're going to keep it respectable, put themselves in a position where if a couple things break their way, who knows what could happen. And I think if I want to take one thing out of all of these things, putting yourself in a position to win is really something the Packers haven't done this year. 
being balanced on offense, not in terms of run-pass division, but just getting different people involved, being consistent on offense, not beating yourself, getting, getting a plus play or two on special teams. Those are the things that consistent teams do. And the Packers, whatever else you want to call them, I don't think you can say they're a consistent team this year. Just showing that you can be that consistent team against a good team is a step in the right direction. Does it get you into a situation where you could theoretically dig yourself out of a three and five hole? Well, maybe not. But showing some consistency at least puts you in a situation where maybe something crazy happens. Maybe there's a tipped ball and it turns into an interception and you're up a possession on the bills. Maybe there's a fumble. Maybe somebody gets hurt. Being consistent allows you to take advantage of those opportunities and gets you into a position where you can where you can win if a couple other things go your way. Speaking of things going the Packers' way, I want to close with a question that I think we're going to have to start considering very, fairly seriously over the next couple of weeks. And I would have to imagine this is something the Packers have talked about internally. MSC Buck asks in our Discord server, how tough do you think it is for our offensive line to be consistent when David Bakhtiari apparently will be a game-time decision every week until further notice? Does his talent just outweigh all of those concerns, or do you think there is value in at least trying to have a consistent five? This is a good question, and I'm sure, again, it's something the Packers have thought about. Where is the dividing line between we believe that David Bakhtiari is our best left tackle, and we believe we just need to find a five guys who we can count on to be out there every week unless they themselves have an additional injury. And I don't know exactly where that line is, but I think it's pretty clear that Bakhtiari's availability was a big reason that they waited so long to make other changes on the offensive line. We've all wanted to see Royce Newman off the field for a while. The logical replacement there, if you're not going to play Zach Tom, and I, I don't know why he wasn't in the conversation earlier, or at least you know in the conversation at right tackle, but the Packers' thinking seemed to be that if you were going to move Royce Newman on the field, you were also going to either move Elton Jenkins to right guard or move John Runyon to right guard and, and Elton Jenkins to left guard. To move Elton Jenkins away from right tackle, though, requires a right tackle. And you'd like that right tackle, if you're the Packers apparently, to be Yash Nyman. But if Yash Nyman is waiting to be a left tackle at any moment, it's hard to move him to right tackle, which means that Elton Jenkins stays there, which means that you have Royce Newman on the field at right guard or somebody else at right guard who you're not necessarily comfortable with either. And if there's anything that we know to be true about football coaches, they definitely prefer the devil they know to the devil they don't. Sure, it's possible in the minds of people who haven't seen him out on the field in an actual NFL game outside of the preseason that Zach Tom could have been a better right guard than Royce Newman, but they also know what they have in Royce Newman or maybe feel like they know what they have. And inertia is a hard thing to overcome in professional football. You see guys stay out there a lot of times longer than they should just because teams are afraid of the alternative. But if if there's one lesson I think that you could impart to NFL teams, it's that they should try to make mistakes quickly because you're dealing with limited opportunities as it is. If you're going to make a change, do it fast. Like if Royce Newman ends up being a mistake at right guard, don't stick with him a couple more weeks just to make sure that he's a mistake. 
throw somebody else in there. See if it works. If it doesn't work, you can always go back. These guys are professional athletes. They should be able to handle moving in and out of the lineup without too big a, a blow to their professional pride. Make the mistakes quickly. But to actually answer the question here, yes, I think this is a big part of the reason that they didn't make changes here in the season to this point all that much. And I think we're getting to a point where the Packers are going to have to make a long-term call on what they really want from their offensive line. Because if Bakhtiari can't be available week in and week out, like it seemed like they were hoping he would be by this point in the season, even with limited practice time, it seems like the idea was that he would practice, you know, two days a week and then be ready to go on Sundays. If we're at the point where he's practicing two days a week or even three days a week, like he did last week, and then not being available on Sunday, what else can you really do other than say, all right, are we comfortable with it like this? Because it's affecting other players on our offensive line and what we can do with them. At a certain point, and I think we're, we're getting close to it, you have to just ask yourself, should we just roll with a, a consistent five and try to figure things out from there or just continue to hope that things get better for Bakhtiari? Listening to him talk, it doesn't sound like there's necessarily a lot of hope from him that it's going to get better. He keeps calling it a day-to-day thing. He keeps calling it something that you assess every single day when you wake up. And that's fine and fair for him, but the Packers have to do what's best for the team at some point too. And I think if you've got five guys who can go every week, it's only going to help the team if there's another guy as opposed to just relying on this other guy who has shown that he's not going to be available every week, who has shown that it's going to go to the morning of the game sometime before you can know for sure if he feels ready ready to play. I think it was fair to this point, to this season, to have some deference toward Bakhtiari as he works back from this injury. But the Packers are in year two now of dealing with this. They handled it all of 2021. Now we're midway through the 2022 season. We're still going week by week wondering what's going to happen. And eventually, I think the Packers have to take control of that decision and say, we're not going to wonder what's going to happen. We're going to decide what's happening. And what's happening is we're going to commit to these five offensive linemen and then make decisions from there if something else happens. If the Packers are serious about digging out of this hole, they can't, I don't think they can have that that consideration, that question mark on the offensive line going forward. And if Bakhtiari really is going to be a game-time decision or a day-to-day decision every single day for the rest of the year, I just don't know if you can live that way. And I don't think the Packers want to live that way. And I think they're coming to a point where they're just going to have to decide here. We'll get to see how he performs this weekend, or we'll get to see if the Packers roll with the same five again and see if they improve at all. It's going to be a tall order against that Buffalo Bills attack. Von Miller is probably licking his chops, and maybe we see Jordan Love sooner than later if it looks like it's going to be dangerous to everybody's health and the game is is out of reach sooner than later. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us 
me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.